But as for you, Bethlehem, Epaphra, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from everlasting, from the ancient days. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in childbirth has borne a child. Then the remainder of his brothers will return to the sons of Israel, and he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of Yahweh, in the majesty of the name of Yahweh his God, and they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth, and this one will be peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Glorious and Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening and for those who are able to be with us today to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior. We ask that you are with us and you humble our hearts. You allow us to hear your word. You allow uh, your word to wash over us and to give us joy and understanding. Please be with us and all those that are here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. First reading tonight will be from Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 14. 
Then Yahweh spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from Yahweh your God. Make it deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not test Yahweh. Then he said, Listen now, O house of David. It is too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men, that you will try the patience of my God as well. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel.
I didn't mention this the first time, but if you could all sit down during the reading, we don't expect you to stand the whole time. Um, the second reading, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, will be a reading uh, verses 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of the peace. On the throne of David or over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness, from then on and forevermore, the zeal of Yahweh of hosts will accomplish this.
Y'all can be seated, please. Sorry for jumping the gun. I got a little excited about reading. Uh, boy, that song always gives me goosebumps, and I think with Allison playing gave me extra goosebumps, so thank you, Allison, I guess. <laughs> um, the first two readings were, were prophecies of the foretelling of the birth of Christ. Um, this last reading that I'll be doing will be in Matthew 1, 18 through 25. It is the account of, of uh, the conception and the birth of Jesus. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the one who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place in order that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet will be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph got up from his sleep, and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. These are the very words of God. Blessed be the word of God.
you would, the reading is out of Matthew chapter 2, as we continue with the story about the birth of Jesus. Matthew chapter 2, I'm reading out of the LSB translation. Now on the screen you'll have verses 1 and 2 and then to 8 through 11, but I'm going to read the whole section. I'm going to take advantage of this time before the pulpit to do so. So it will be 2, chapter 2 of Matthew 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he was inquiring of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and carefully determined from them the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. Now after hearing the king, they went their way, and behold, the star, which they had seen in the east, was going on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi departed for their own country by another way.
as I noted at the beginning of the message, uh, the service today, the primary focus is the word became flesh. Out of John chapter 1, starting in verse 14 through verse 18, I was talking to a friend this week about this particular passage, and I'm pretty positive that I could go the rest of my preaching career and preach on this single passage every single Sunday and not exhaust what it means. It is so earth-shaking and universe-changing that the Word became flesh that we cannot truly comprehend what it means. I would ask you to consider as we talk about this particular passage what, it, what the implications are of God taking on humanity to himself. It has been said by theologians far smarter than me that God himself, by addition, subtracted from himself. By adding man to himself, he becomes that slave for us. He becomes that servant to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. But if you would, please turn with me to John chapter 1. And there will be an additional reading out of John chapter 1, and that is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 to start with. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it. And if you would, skip down to verse 14. And that word, that particular word, that one that was referenced in verse 1, that word became flesh. That word became a man. That word became one just like us. Not God in a costume, but fully man. Fully like you and me. Unlike anything that has ever happened before. This passage is probably, singularly, the most important passage in the Scripture. Without the passage of the Word becoming flesh, Christ is not a sufficient Savior. He must be just like us. And when He becomes enfleshed, it is at that point that the triune God's work of redemption coalesces. The Word, the one who was with the Father, the one who is of the same substance as the Father, became as a man. The Word that is eternal added humanity to himself. He did not change into a human, but he added humanity to who he was. Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 through 8, it says the kenosis that he emptied himself. He became as like a slave. He became just like us. Flesh and bone is what he was. He took that humanness to himself, yet at the same time, Colossians 2 verse 9 would tell us that in him dwells the fullness of deity bodily. One of my favorite passages in the Greek Testament. It is phenomenal what it says there. In him, in Jesus, in him dwelled the fullness of deity bodily at the same time he was fully man in him is both humanity and deity 
fused together, but not confused. Romans chapter 1, verse 3, it tells us, He who was born of the seed of David, born according to the flesh. Romans chapter 1, verse 4 says, Who was designated as the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I want you to consider those passages that he was born, and I now want you to consider the, 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 the birth account. Go back to Luke chapter 2, verse 8, just for a moment, and I want you to consider this. So he added humanity to himself. He became exactly like us, flesh and bone, gets tired, has to go to sleep, has to eat. Fully deity. And now look at Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. 8 through 12. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. God in a manger. God in the most ignominy, right, where he is at, in a place of not of a king, but a place that's not clean, unexpected. In here, the fullness of deity dwells bodily, enfleshed, him for us. This God, this Jesus, this one that was foretold by those prophetic passages that Roy read earlier, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 tells us that, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, what? Born of a woman. Born under the law. Born just like everyone in this room was born. Fully like us. Born as a child. Born as a baby that needed to be fed. Born as a little infant that needed to be taken care of, that needed to be kept warm, that needed to be, be cleaned, that needed to be loved, that could not take care of himself. This is how the Savior, our Savior, came into this world. He needed to be just like us, flesh and bone. If you turn back to John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh, part one. Part two, that flesh, that word that became man, dwelt among us, lived with us. The term is tabernacled or tented with us. If we think back to the Israelites in the desert, when the Lord took that vine out of Egypt and took them into the wilderness and then into the promised land, what did they have? They had the tabernacle. 
the tent where they would be. They could go, one man in, during the year could go into God's presence during that time, where they would see the pillar of smoke or the column of fire. But now God himself, as a man, is dwelling with his people, surrounded by sinful men. This is what God chose to do to bring about salvation for all who would believe. He lived just like us. He slept just like us. He got tired just like us. And he did all these things, yet did not sin. Psalm chapter 68, verse 17 says the following following words. If we think about God... Jesus, the chariots of God are myriads, thousands upon thousands. The Lord, how about this, is among them at Sinai in holiness. God dwelling with his people. It is hard to wrap our heads around everything that occurred during this time that Jesus became enfleshed, that he became like us. And it says, continuing in verse 14 of John, chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh, the word dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Eyewitnesses or an eyewitness is what John was, an eyewitness is what the apostles were, an eyewitness was those who viewed the resurrected Jesus, an eyewitness to Jesus. Not only had they beheld his glory at the Mount of Transfiguration, but beholding beholding that glory is also beholding the glory that is in the life that he lived that they saw and that they were around in the miracles he performed, in the death that he died, in the resurrection that came afterwards, they were witnesses to this thing that occurred. And all these things are for the glory of the only begotten, the Son of God. For in him dwells deity bodily. He is the only sufficient Savior for our sin. He is the only one that could take everything that we have done, the sins before, now, and after, and he nailed them to the cross to save all who would believe. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says these words, which I just love, which I hope that you will love too. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, if you would turn there, or it's not on the screen, I'm certain, but Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 tells us this about Jesus, who is the radiance of his glory, is the radiance of God. To see Jesus is to see the Father, and the exact representation of his nature, everything that Jesus does is an exact representation of the Father, and upholds all things by the word of his power, who, having accomplished cleansing of sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The word became flesh. The word is in flesh as we speak. The word himself, Jesus, ascended bodily into heaven and sits on the throne. We must know this and consider this. He did not rise as spirit. He rose as fully man and is seated on the throne at the right hand of the Father. This is mind-blowing when you think about it. 
It is incomprehensible when we consider what has been done. But this can be summed up in these, in a few words here. The God, God who was previously distant from us, did not dwell with us, was revealed in the flesh as his son. God revealed himself in his son in the flesh. In the son is also fully God, just like the Holy Spirit is fully God. We know that to look upon Christ, and when we look upon Christ in the scripture and we see what he does, we are seeing God and what he is doing. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 tells us that he is the image of the invisible God. Two, Jesus lived and dwelled with men and was just like men in all ways. And because he was just like men, it shows that he can be known. In that he desires to be known. A God who dwells with his people, not only does he dwell, did he dwell with his people, but he desires to dwell with the ones that he saves for all eternity. Think about that for a second. We read that in Revelation, we read that throughout the scripture of what God will do with regard to that. And because of what Jesus has done, we receive that grace upon grace that it says in John chapter 1, verse 14. We receive that grace upon grace because of who he is and what he has done. That God, Jesus, fully God, fully man, he is not distance but came an incredible distance to save. That he dwelled with men as the light of the world. John chapter 1 verse 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not overtake it. He came to extend his grace to all who would believe and know him as Lord and Savior. We can dwell upon that grace, upon grace that has been given to us to believe in him, and trust in him. And so I would implore you, if you're here today, to know him, and you don't, to know him as your Savior. And if you do know him as your Savior, seek to know him more and more. Be captivated by his beauty. Be captivated by the work that he has done. Be captivated by the idea that right now he is sitting on the throne, interceding for all who believe in him. And when we know Jesus in this way, we not only trust in him, but we will have that everlasting joy that springs eternal from that knowledge. To know that he has borne the punishment that we could not take. He has lived the life that we could not live. He has gone to the cross and done the things that we could not do so that we could be enjoined to him forever. So just a moment uh, to consider here as we close down the message portion of this, just a little housekeeping as we come in. What will happen is we're going to have another song. Then they're going to light the candles and then we're going to silent night. There will not be a closing part to the sermon. The sermon or the service will just end after a silent night, okay? But I would seriously like to pray, uh, to pray about these things. It's just these words are somewhat overwhelming. 
to just uh, bow your heads for a moment. Lord Jesus, we will spend an eternity captivated by what was done to repair what sin has done to us. We will spend an eternity, much like the angels are right now, longing to understand salvation. It will, if it does not encompass all of us now, when we view you for the first time, to see you for the first time in the heavenly realms, captivated by your beauty and by your glory, it will overwhelm us to consider what was necessary to save sinful men. We consider that you were a child just like we were, that you were raised by a mother and a father just like we were. And then you lived a life that we could not live and died a death we could not die. Resurrected. Considering those words at the tomb, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? We know that our Savior reigns, our Savior lives, and we trust in you, Jesus, even in those times when we doubt. We trust that you are enough. Please be with us this evening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Sing choirs of angels, sing in exaltation, O sing, ye heavenly host of heaven above. Glory to Oh. 
Say. 